I just wanted to create this kind of every girl that girls could relate to and show her life. But, you know, I think we were incredibly successful in doing that. I am unwilling to give up that I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I want to be. I want to be. You just want to make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get knocked out. Knocked out. So your only choice should be go focus on what you can control. 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 Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Kara Golden Show. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with some of the world's greatest leaders. We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden from The Kara Golden Show, and I'm super, super excited to have my next guest here. Uh, This is Tina Wells. And Tina, for those of you who do not know her, she is an entrepreneur, business strategist, and best-selling author multiple times. We're going to get into uh, many of her books, but her most recent book, The Z-Files, is a spinoff series of her best-selling tween fiction series called McKinsey Blue. And uh, we are so excited to have Tina here to share a little bit more about it. But again, she's a just a little bit more on Tina. She's a business strategist, uh, advisor, author, and the founder of Relevant Media. And Tina has been recognized by Fast Company's 100 Most Creative People in Business, Essence's 40 Under 40, and so much more. And for over two decades, she led Buzz Marketing Group, an agency she founded at age, wait a minute, Tina, 16 years old, you founded an agency? I love it. We got to talk more about that. Uh, With clients like Dell, The Oprah Winfrey Show, Apple, J&J, just to name a few. So it's so, so great. We're going to get into some of her other books and her uh, marketing handbook, which is gold. Everybody should definitely pick up a copy of this for sure. So many more. Board positions have included Thinks. The United Nations Foundation's Global Entrepreneurs Council. That is a mouthful. Wow. The Franklin Institute and Young Entrepreneurs Council. She has served as the academic director for Wharton's leadership in the business world program at the University of Pennsylvania and is a member of the 2017 class of Crown Fellows, Henry Crown Fellows, sorry, with the Aspen Global Leaderships Network at the Aspen Institute and a total badass on, I mean, this could go on and on. So let's dive right in. Welcome, welcome. Where are you coming from today, Tina? Thank you, Kara. I'm coming to you from Brazil. I know, uh, not at all the place I ever thought I would say I'm coming to anyone from. So... (laughs) I'm just as shocked too these days. (laughs) So had you been there before? Only once before. Uh, I was here for a Dell Women's Conference maybe five years ago. I was in Rio. And so uh, as many of us had to make really quick decisions in 2020, and this is a quick decision, and uh, I'm really grateful it's worked out, but it was definitely not at all on my vision board, my life plan, my anything plan. So... (laughs) I, I love it. I was supposed to be at that conference five years ago. I wanted to go to Rio. I've never been there, and I've always wanted to go to Brazil. And I, I mentioned to you I'm taking this uh, course right now that the professor was actually mentioning how Brazil 
obviously a huge country and doing uh, amazing, great things, but on he's got it on his radar of countries that are really not as uh, not sort of on the radar as much as they should be in terms of paying attention to what they're doing. So it made me even more interested in kind of going back there and, and visiting. So really excited to hear more about that as well. So you started Buzz Marketing Group at age 16. Let's just jump in. What I mean, what in the world were you doing at 16? Were you so you're in high school? Yes. And let me just be very honest. At 16, really at 15, my dream in life was to be a fashion editor. You know, I am a child of the 80s, a teenager of the 90s. So I was watching Saved by the Bell. I wanted to be Lisa Turtle. That was my dream in life. <laughs> um, I had I didn't even know what marketing was. And so I got a job based on an ad I saw in Seventeen magazine um, as a product review editor for this newspaper called The New World Times. And that's how I got really into market research because I would review products, I would send my reviews, and and the companies would always say, if I send you more stuff, will you keep telling me what you think? And that became me giving surveys to friends. And I I didn't really understand what I was doing. It was just a hobby to get free stuff. Um, And that turned into a real business. And I, I, you know, my freshman year of college, I had had a quote unquote client tell me that um, she had paid someone $25,000 for market research. And what my friends and I had done was 10 times better. And then I had a business and I needed to figure it out. And I literally went into uh, one of my professor's offices during office hours and said, I've been doing this thing. What should we do? And she kind of stared at me (laughs) for a while. And then she just said, okay, why don't you take an independent study with me and let's make it a business. And then it became a business. But I, I mean, for a couple of years, I was just having fun. I didn't really, I wasn't, you know, I have a plan. I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I I didn't know what any of that meant. I knew I wanted to be Lisa Turtle when I grew up. That's all I knew Like at that time. I love it. Thinking about what's for dinner, but you haven't had a minute to even think about it before now? Well, let's not make that mistake again. I have a tip for you. Factor. Stress-free, delicious, ready-to-eat meals, just perfect for spring and summer yumminess. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes or less. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, keto, vegan, veggie, or calorie smart. Factor has you covered. Discover more than 60 add-ons every week too, like breakfast and on-the-go lunch choices, snacks and beverages now too. Stay fueled and feel good all day long with whatever they are creating over at Factor for you. And the best part, each meal is ready to eat in just two minutes or less. And who wouldn't want that? Factor is your solution for fast premium meals without the need for cooking. Get started today and fuel up for your spring and summer goals. What are you waiting for? Head to factormeals.com slash golden50 and use code golden50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code golden50 at factormeals.com slash golden50 to get 50% off plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. That's code GOLDEN50 at factormeals.com slash GOLDEN50 to get 50% off plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. 
in today's world, which I will admit can at times seem filled with too much of the wrong information, it's essential to find a good source that truly gets to the heart of what I want to know. I am super excited about our next sponsor as I've been a big fan of their content for some time now. That sponsor is The Washington Post. Their depth on topics from business to tech isn't just impressive, it's essential reading for me. Whether I'm catching up on the latest tech trends or understanding how the day's news truly impacts my family, The Washington Post is my trusted source. Let's talk specifics. Their business and tech coverage, absolutely top-notch. Just imagine having the most insightful articles at your fingertips, including the unparalleled AI reporting from Drew Harwell or the pulse on tech and online culture from Taylor Lorenz. And the best part? You can listen to articles just like you listen to this podcast, making it perfect for your busy lifestyle. I was just reading an article from one of my favorite Washington Post writers, Frances Stead Sellers. She covers entrepreneurs like myself, but also covers other interesting topics, including health, as well as some very interesting books. I also love getting their For You newsletter, which is their roundup of stories tailored just for my interests, right in my inbox every evening. The Washington Post app is super well done, I think, and makes it incredibly easy to stay up to date and follow my favorite journalists on the go. And if you ever thought that the Washington Post is just about politics, think again. They cover everything under the sun, from climate and culture to crosswords and cooking, providing a world of surprising stories and vital insights. Okay, enough of the love fest that I have for the Washington Post. Here's the deal. Being a listener of The Kara Golden Show has its benefits, and this one is too good to miss. Now is the time to sign up for The Washington Post. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. That's 80% off their typical offer. So this is truly a steal. Once again, that's WashingtonPost.com backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. Did you see an ad or did you know somebody? No. So what happened was 17 had put an ad, like the New World Times placed an ad in 17 magazine, like back in the day when they used to have those classifieds in 17. And and so it's very embarrassing, but I did not even have a computer at this time. My parents had just gotten me a brother word processor. And so I typed up a column and my mom faxed it from work for me. And then we got like the call in the home line, the message back in the day when that used to happen. And I called and got the job. And so um, it was, I really just thought I want to be a writer, you know, and I actually, my degree is in journalism. And so I ended up going to a post-baccalaureate program at Wharton, which is how I ended up getting hired at Wharton. My professor ended up hiring me to run leadership in the business world. But I went to Penn because I was like, I don't really know how to run a business. Like I know how to write and, and communicate, but I need to learn some business skills. And so I was very fortunate uh, to go through that program at Penn when they still had it. And then to end up you know, for many years, kind of teaching there, which was its own amazing adventure to, you know, over my summers, get to go there every day and, and have just such brilliant students was, was really amazing. That's awesome. So you turned your creativity into a business. And so you're in 
college at that time, and you started your own little marketing company. Was that actually Buzz Marketing? Was yes. that the? Um, as a teenager, I called it the Buzz, and then uh, when I turned twenty, I-, I named it Buzz Marketing Group. But yes, yeah, so I just always knew Buzz was what. I, I just, I don't know, for some reason that word really resonated. And, and I think when we start to talk about how I come up with books and book concepts, like that naming process is just something mm-hmm. that is super important to me. And it always has been. It's probably just one of those like innate skills I have. And I just knew at first it was like the buzz is about information. And then, um, you know, a trademark buzz spotter and as our version of a trend spotter. And so I just knew that. Originally, we were a research firm, and then we really grew with our client needs and grew into an, an influencer agency. And with every step, it was like, I don't know what this is, but my clients are asking me for it, and they say I can do it. So I guess I can. You know, it was never me saying, We're going to focus on influencers. It was clients coming and saying, You do this really well, and I need you to do this for me. And so I, I really grew up with my business. I always say, You know, Buzz, it really was the place that I grew up. More than anything. That's amazing. And really solving problems, right? I mean, it sounds like you were sort of tackling these issues that people would come to you with, and you had ideas about how to really solve those problems, which is really, I mean, that's marketing, right? That is is ultimately what I, I share with people all the time, that I think that the biggest lessons that I've learned about marketing is that in order to actually get people to engage, you have to be solving problems, right? You have to identify the problems and and may, sometimes, sometimes they don't even know what the problem is, but then come up with the solutions, which I think you clearly did. So you're working while you're in college and you're, I mean, social media wasn't even what it is today, right? And there weren't multiple platforms of social media. And this is mind blowing the more that I think about it because it wasn't, you know, this is pre Twitter, right? I mean, this is like, you know, no Instagram. I mean, it was just, I mean, this is amazing on so many fronts. How did you end up? Who was your first client? Well, okay. So, first, I have to tell you a funny story. I remember um, back in 2000, I, so I'm about to turn 41. So, this is definitely clearly going to show my age. Cosmo Girl wrote two sentences about what I was doing. Um, and I got 9,000 applications from all over the world from people who wanted to be buzz spotters. This is back when Anne Choquette was one of the founding mm-hmm. editors there. It's Anne and Michelle Lee, who's now at Allure. You know, those are the women who kind of birthed my influencer network. And I'm laughing because I remember a moment where their phones were ringing off the hook. They're like, you need to answer these people. They're now stalking our magazine. Like, we don't know what to do. And I remember thinking, there's, okay, they're, you know, girls who want to work with me in Texas, how would I communicate with someone in Texas? But again, this is like year 2000 thinking, you know? And so I'm like, okay, so on our website, do we have to have a function where like, it's just the idea of what I built so long ago and how long it took to build it. Today, you could build that business in probably a few days, you know, it just, Mm -hmm. the technology didn't exist. And I'm also laughing because I'm thinking of uh, my girlfriends, I went to a women's college, Hood College, um, when it was a women's college. And I just think back to our Friday nights, like getting on MySpace <laughs> and connecting with the guys that we met 
a club like a week ago. Um, and so you're right, like the technology that exists now um, just didn't exist. But and this is dial up too, right? I mean, at times, like you had to probably fight. I, I tell my kids about this now. I said, you know, the the number of fights that we would have with roommates or with uh, fr- you know brothers and sisters about don't be on the phone because I am actually on you know at that time AOL chat and I mean this is no like sexy startup story I mean I also am the oldest of six children and so my parents were very smart to get us our own phone line Um, but I would monopolize it with my dial-up internet and my business that I was doing and it was they were like hating me, but then I would always give them stuff. So they were like, all right, Tina, we're going to like roll with this. And then God bless my college roommate. We're still such dear friends. But yeah, like at one point our dorm room was like a shipping center for clients I was working with. Um, and to answer your first question, my first check ever came from Neil Cole. Um, and so Neil Cole is famously the genius behind Bongo and Candies. And I was doing a fashion show and he sponsored it and they like wrote me a check on the spot. And I couldn't believe that people were going to give me money to do something I loved to do, you know, and, and 20 plus years later, I still don't believe that people give me money to do things that I love to do. You know, and I think that is entrepreneurship when you're really kind of on mission and on brand and living your dream. That's the awesome part of what we get to do. You know, is that we, every day we're waking up and doing things that we love to do. Well, you can't see Tina's face, but she's smiling right now, which I always say is the sign of a great entrepreneur, uh, the ones that are, you know, sharing their story and and smiling about it because they think exactly as I see you doing about, you know, the stuff that you just can't make up, right? <laughs> That that happened, and it seemed hard at the time. I'm sure there were different points along along the way. But so you're you're the founder of Relevant Media and content venture serving entrepreneurs and tweens and uh, culturists, influencers, etc. How can people remain authentic throughout their careers? Do you believe? Well, first. I cheated a little bit, right? Like when you talked about not having social, for me, like my profile was really built through traditional print magazines, you know? And so I was really able to hold on to so much of myself because I'd show up, I'd have the photo, I'd do the interview, and then I'd have my life back, you know? And I would get to go do the work that I love to do. And, you know, when I look at the pressure that social puts on people, you know, even for me, it's like, all right, I have a content plan and all of these things. I couldn't imagine growing into myself as an entrepreneur and also having to do that so publicly at the same time, you know, because there's, there's a maturing process and you're learning and you're growing and all that growth is not the best thing ever that you want everybody to see, you know, those, those tough lessons. And so I was fortunate that I could always remain myself and be my true self because I had so much time to cultivate that before I had to kind of be a very public person. And I I am an extreme introvert, you know, and it's no wonder I write fiction for, for middle grade girls because I live in my head so often. And so that public part of what I have to do is still really... Uh, it's not scary for me, but it definitely takes me out of my element a lot more than than most people would probably think. What do you think is the biggest change since you, I mean, obviously you started in print and 
where do you see social media today? I mean, obviously multimedia content, et cetera, but where, what is kind of the secret sauce there, do you believe? I think what I really love now, I think we went through a period where social was, if I can be honest, becoming almost dangerous, you know, to people's mental health. I think now we're living in a time where people are really taking these tools and they're building these massive businesses that are changing people's lives, you know, and what was so hard for me to do back in 1996, you know, to see the tools and how we're democratizing entrepreneurship is awesome. I think we talk so often about women of color not raising venture capital at the same rate as, you know, others. But what we don't talk about is that women of color are, are starting businesses, you know, at the same rate as, you know, white women. And that is because these tools that exist are are really democratizing that process. And so I understand when we have the venture conversation, but we also need to celebrate all of these amazing businesses that people are able to create because they're able to take their phone and turn that phone into their business and into a money-making opportunity and connect with customers really quickly and use these tools to do that. That's really interesting that you say that because I totally agree. I think sometimes when we talk about how many blocks are in front of us that we can't do, you know, we realize, I mean, I know many people who have built businesses that are $1 million, $2 million businesses, and they didn't raise any money yeah. and they're quite happy, right? Yeah. And I mean, that's a lot of money, right? And so they just don't, and they don't have a lot of people on the payroll. So this idea that sometimes if you sit there and put in front of yourself, oh, you're never going to be able to go raise money. And this isn't your company isn't going to be a unicorn. Do you care? <laughs> right? I mean, you know, there's a lot of people who have a lot of headaches from raising money and having these giant companies too. So I think it's, it's something that a lot of people need to think about. So I'm really happy that you said that. What do you think are the, the key? I mean, obviously, you're focused on the tween audience, but I, I think you're so much more than that, though. You really understand. In order to understand one audience, then you need to understand them all. So let's go into actually your your book, McKinsey Blue, for those of, I think that's a good starting point, right? To the next one that you most recently launched. But people from the audience who don't know about McKinsey Blue, what made you write that? And tell us a little bit about it. Yeah. So I kind of got started on my tween fiction journey when I was 26 years old. And around that time, I was tapped by a top publisher to do some marketing for uh, a new YA or young adult fiction book that was coming out. And during that process, they kept asking me, don't you want to write something? Don't you want to write something? And I'm like, I don't have time to write. I'm in the middle of you know my agency career. I really don't have time. And um, I was doing some focus groups for a top a uh, consumer packaged goods company, and we were studying this new consumer called a tween. And during that focus group, a mom came up to me and she said, You seem to know about these things. You know, my daughter is 10 and she's reading Gossip Girl. What should I do about it? And I thought about that and I'm like, You know, how would I kind of market a good girl? To girls, like, is there a way I could do that? And then I started writing Mackenzie, and then I really started talking to girls in our network, uh, talking to their moms, and saying, "Can I, you know, send this survey to your daughter? Can we talk about issues?" And I really uh, kind of packaged this idea, you know. And I, 
I'm very honest in saying I'm not, while I have a degree in journalism and I write, I do not consider myself a traditional, typical writer of fiction. You know, I, some might call me a packager, but, but I am very clear. I, I look at it the way I look at any other product I'm launching. Product market fit is really important. And so, you know, I use those skills as a marketer to really think about what's motivating my customer. What is she feeling or what's he feeling? What, what life stage are they in? And then what are the marketing things I need to add to make it exciting? And so when I started with Mackenzie, she was a typical 12-year-old girl living in Southern California. You know, I very deliberately gave her red hair and blue eyes because I wanted her to feel kind of very unique in, in this Southern California setting. Um, and she was kind of like Punky Brewster style and doing her own thing and went to a certified lead school. And, you know, sustainability was incredibly important in, in my first series, it still is in my writing. And I really just created this girl who was not perfect because I think that the idea that at 12, girls feel the need to be perfect is so crazy because that's one of the benefits I had growing up in the 90s, right? There, I, I wasn't trying to take a photo for social media. I mean, I remember the time when me and my friends had to go to CVS or to a pharmacy, print out photos. And so we couldn't even instantly see what we looked like. We, we lived so in the moment. And so... I just wanted to create this kind of every girl that girls could relate to and show her life. But, you know, I think we were incredibly successful in doing that. That's amazing. And so, and then you went on to write The Z Files, your most recent book. So exciting. So talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah. So uh, I'm really, really fortunate to be in partnership with um, Target and exclusively in West Margin Press for this. And, and it's a spinoff. Of Mackenzie Blue. So in Mackenzie Blue, she was 12 years old. In the Z Files, she's 13. Her family's now moved to London, and she is actually going to a boarding school uh, in the Cotswolds. And so it was super fun to introduce new characters and then to kind of move her and transition her into this new life experience. And you know, we deal with issues in the series that we didn't deal with in in Mackenzie Blue. But you know, we're, one of her best friends' parents is getting divorced. Um, she starts to develop some issues around uh, learning and attention issues, and then also some issues with anxiety. And so, you know, I think here we're really focused on how do we make it as real as possible. And I think that when I say we, you know, it's my writing partner, my illustrator, you know, the public, like there's a team that really comes together to say, how do we create the very best experience for our reader? And so it was a many months of being in that headspace of, where are girls at today? What's mattering to them? You know, when you look at the life stage 13, from my perspective, there's now this need for independence, right? And to grow into their own person. So the, the idea of boarding school is very specific because we wanted, I wanted to lean into that idea of like, she has pseudo independence, you know, and there was nothing for me at that, at that age when I was 13, I was dying to go to boarding school, right? Like my parents were ruining my life. So <laughs> any idea that I could escape them for a little bit, like the board, I remember watching 15. I don't know if you guys know this show on Nickelodeon with Ryan Reynolds. Like that was my dream to go to that boarding school. So uh, yeah, that was really the inspiration for it. Did, did you ever live in London? No, but I will tell you when I um, started writing the Z files, I was actually writing it as a TV show and I was in London and I was spending the weekend um, at Soho Farmhouse in the, Co the Cotswolds. And so when I was there and on my bike, I was like, yes, this is the setting for, for this fictional school. I think it'll be perfect. 
I've always wanted to go there. That's mm-hmm. on my bucket list. It's oh. it looks so amazing. So one day, that's so great. So I have four Gen Zers living in my house, and I feel like I'm I'm living it as uh, maybe as as much as you have in in this process as of writing these books too, because I think that there's so many questions I have. In fact, many questions I have is actually um, you know how. Millennials. I think that millennials today are are you know very different from Gen Xers, which is where I came from, and exactly how happy um, millennials are, right, with the current sort of status of you know the there's a great book if you haven't read it. I um, I'm looking called Can't Even. Have you read this book? No, it's um, it's a great book that I uh, I actually interviewed her um, for my podcast recently, and it's about millennials and feeling a little jaded by what they felt was ha- going to be happening, and that you could do it all, and you you know went to the big city and you went to the right schools, and you know even if you took on debt, that's cool, you know, like all all of this, and then all of a sudden they're you know take it kind of part of the gig economy and in many cases because they took equity instead and they didn't really understand what that meant and so you know as a gen xer i actually feel this responsibility to as long as i'm working to try and fix some of these things but i also feel like there's stuff that needs to get worked out in order for many of those people that are interested in your books, right? Also the Gen Zers, the four that I have in my house, because I I think there are things that need to get worked out. And it's, uh, so I, I love that you're focused on this and, you know, looking at this overall, because I really do think it's it's a challenge that we all need to look a little bit closer at. So in terms of life experiences, what do you think are the the key things that you've seen that have really helped you as a writer? Oh gosh. Um, so I, I'm pretty sure I didn't get on a plane for the first time until I was 19. And, um, my first flight ever was to Houston and my second flight was into Tegucigalpa, um, in Honduras where I lived for a few months and amazing. It was an unbelievable experience to have at 19 and really profoundly changed my life. And as you mentioned earlier through my work, um, as a member of the Global Entrepreneurs Council with the UN Foundation, I got to travel to Uganda. I got to spend a few days in a refugee camp, uh, actually permanent refugee settlement. Uh, I went to an island, a remote island, and I did some consulting with female business owners. And I, it was probably one of the most humbling experiences of my life because I really felt like, what, what in the world do I have to say to these amazing women who are running businesses on a remote island, you know, without electricity. And so I think my writing, like travel is such a big inspiration. I, I talked about being inspired um, to write the Z files on my, you know, trip to London. I used to fondly remember that trip. And so, you know, the last year has been really tough, you know, not being able to just kind of like go and explore and, you know, learn or be integrated into a new culture. And so, you know, that exploration is so important for me as a writer, as I develop characters, as I think about, you know, taking my reader on an adventure. You know, I was a, a girl who read a book every single day in the summer. And reading was how I really started to understand I could have a different type of career. You know, I grew up in suburban New Jersey with five siblings and 
we had a really awesome life. But in my mind, it's like, okay, I guess I'll go to law school and be a lawyer. I didn't have any idea that I could have this creative career or be an entrepreneur. And so, you know, it was books for me that really opened up my world. And so I I think a lot about that when I'm writing about the girl who's going to read this book and will it open up her mind to a new experience that she might have, you know, later in her life. I love that a lot of what you're talking about, you had ideas about maybe what you wanted to do, but you also went back to what you enjoy doing, which I always, you know, share with when I'm speaking on college campuses and high school audiences. I always share that the most important thing is figuring out what you want to do and get up every day and go do those things. And Sometimes that's really hard because I think we hear a lot of noise around us, um, sometimes even from parents saying, what do you want to be when you grow up, right? Or, and, and I think that it's something that you're, you're just so inspiring, sort of sharing that you ultimately just went and did what you wanted to do, right? And, and maybe you made some kind of missteps along the way, and then you came back. What, like, what's one misstep that you made? You seem perfect, Tina. I mean, you went to all these countries, you, you know, the UN, I mean, all these, like, you write best-selling books. I mean, what can't you do? But there has to be, like, one little nugget in there that you were just not that happy about at the time. Yeah, I was talking to a friend the other day and I was like laughing and I was like, boy, was I a little dictator of a boss in my 20s, right? <laughs> I was just like laughing and um, I'm like, you know, I, I really did grow up with my company. And so I was managing things I never experienced before in my life. Like, I'll tell you this funny story. I once had someone who was working for me and their grandfather passed away and then their grandfather passed away again. And then we decided, like we discovered rather this person was just like blatantly telling many lies. And I didn't really understand, like, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with people not being truthful at work? How do you deal with like workplace issues? Because I was such an entrepreneur that I just wanted to do my own thing and work and be in my bubble. And again, introverted, I didn't really sign up to like be the boss. And I never got a lot of, um, fulfillment from, you know, tons of people reporting to me, like that just wasn't my thing. And now I look at my team and I so enjoy every single person that I work with and, and they, you know, their performance is unbelievable. But I, what I realized it just recently was how important it is to make sure that the people that are working with you are in roles that they love, you know? And I think so often in marketing, you find people who are willing to be an assistant so that they can then move on, right? Not that their love or passion is, you know, in in this area. And now again, it goes back to, you know, building teams online. I get to work with people who absolutely love what they're doing and it just makes what they're creating 10 times better. You know, and so whether it's an illustrator or whether it's, you know, the editor, the copy editor, everybody approaches their work with such joy. And I didn't really have that for a big part of my marketing career. And it was the, the toughest thing to manage, you know? And I think, you know, I can... I, my next book might be a guide for recovering marketing executives or something because there, there's a lot in our industry that, you know, we need to get right. There, there's a lot, you know, work-life harmony. You know, it's just working 20 hours a day for clients. It just, it isn't the way to survive. And so, you know what we were tasked to do as an agency for clients kind of created stress for people that they didn't deserve and people not being in positions they love 
you know, created stress. And so there's just, I realize now that there's so much stress in that business that just didn't need to be there. And when I decided to close my agency, people were super shocked, but I, I was at the point where it was like, well, I don't want to sell it because I don't want to go do this for five more years of my life. I just don't have that anymore. Um, I don't want to grow this to a 400 person agency. I don't want, you know, <laughs> a 355 more problem. Like I don't, I, there's just, there was nothing more. And so I think that that was my biggest difficulty really. And it was so private and few people knew it's just how introverted I was, how much I wanted to be dedicated to doing a certain thing and how you really don't get to do that when you're running an agency, you know, your job as CEO is not to be the chief creative officer. That wasn't the job that I had. It was the job I would have loved to have, but at the end of the day, it wasn't, you know, it was meeting with lawyers and reviewing HR policies and doing all the things that I didn't love to do. And so, um, you know, that was really, really tough for me. It was tough because every experience was so brutal because I just had a way that I thought things should happen as a person who never spent a day working for another person. So you have to understand, like, I literally, no, I had a telemarketing job at 16. But besides that, I didn't know what a company culture should be because I hadn't been in one, which also was really great because I would elevate young people and, you know, diversity, inclusion, belonging was always the philosophy of my firm. So there were a lot of great things, but on the downside, it was, I just didn't know how to manage for situations that came up because I, in my mind, I was in this utopia and that was just not the real world, you know? Yeah. And I think it's also probably, you had a lot of young people where this was their first job too. So they didn't know either. I mean, that's right. I mean, it's, it's, uh, but you learned a lot about culture. I learned through my journey as well. I've learned a ton about culture and some were not my favorite, but I actually, you know, really am grateful because I learned about what I didn't want to have when I ultimately went and started my own company. So I, I uh, hear a lot of uh, similarities in, in that, but I, I think there's a, something else that you touched on too, that is really fascinating that I think a lot of people don't think about, which I didn't think about it until a couple of years ago when I, I, I had been at America Online prior to uh, launching my company Hint and was there for seven years and ran e-commerce and shopping. There's a couple of hundred people working under me. And because I was really good initially at working with all of these e-commerce partners and figuring out ways to actually launch them, this was even during the dial-up days. And that whole time, I became a manager. And then I I was a vice president. And all of a sudden, I'm signing off. I'm meeting with legal teams. I'm just signing check, checkbox, checkbox. And I was so bored. I couldn't even stand it. I was like, and then when you get bored, what happens is you start to get grumpy and you get angry. And, and so I had gotten to a point in my career where I was able to easily leave. It was a billion dollars in revenue to AOL. I had three young kids under the age of four living in my house in San Francisco that I somehow conceived, but I never saw. And I thought, I'm going home to San Francisco. I'm going to go find a job in Silicon Valley and go do something there. But the real nugget that I hadn't kind of appreciated until I actually got off the train and saw this idea that I had that was solving a problem that I had around health was water and beverage. And I knew nothing about it. And I would 
sit there and hang out in the Whole Foods store that had just opened in San Francisco. And I'd say, so how do I get a product on the shelf? How do I get distribution? And they'd say, did you, you know, if you, like, you got to go and work for Coca-Cola for a few years. And I'm like, why do you have to do that? I mean, can't, how hard is it? You know, I was just asking questions along the way. And, and anyway, but the net of it is, is that by not actually having the experience, which is kind of where you were when you were 16. You didn't know what you were doing. You didn't know what was wrong. You didn't know what the rules were, but you were learning. And so I think that the biggest problem we have for so many people, and it's kind of what you talked about, even being the head of your firm, you're, you're just, you're not able to kind of be learning. You're teaching, right? You're managing. And it's really frustrating. And I think so many people think, oh, I'll go join some boards. I'll go That'll solve everything, right? I'm like, the people who want to hire you for boards want to do it because you're good at this. You're just going to be teaching more, you know? And <laughs> right? Because, yes, I, I went on a board and boy, did I have to teach a lot. So, <laughs> right? And, and there's nothing wrong with mentoring and managing and teaching. But if you're doing it every single day when, you know, you miss the creating and the learning, and learning doesn't necessarily mean going back to school either. Learning just means going and putting yourself into uncomfortable positions, moving to Brazil, yes. right? And learning around you. So anyway, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Chasing youth culture and getting it right is also one of your great, great marketing handbooks. And uh, we didn't get a chance to really talk about that, but I highly recommend it to people. What do you think is the biggest takeaway from that book for people? Um, I'll tell you my biggest takeaway when I was writing it. I had this idea that teenagers were so addicted to technology. And what I actually discovered writing that book was that those of us who were not digitally native were actually the tech addicts. That they actually, it was just a tool in the toolbox. That their hmm. relationship to it, what, because for us, it was like, oh my gosh, now I have email and I, I, I liken it to you know, a woman in yoga class who's still just typing the last message on her Blackberry, you know, and I think of my youngest brother, who's nine years younger, he can text without even looking, but he knows how to be completely present with his friends. And then, and then he knows when he needs to pick up tech. And I, I don't know, I just had this idea that like, oh, these teenagers don't know. And I'm like, it's nothing new for them. You know, it's, it's like, I had TV my whole life, right? So I know when I'm watching my shows, when I'm not watching my shows, it was not this big invention of our time. And so, um, I often think that younger generations in general get such a bad rap for things. And I think it's a lot of projection that we are putting onto the different generations. Um, like, for example, I remember so my book was very focused on millennials. And I was meeting with a client once from a Fortune 500 company. And she said, oh, these millennials are so entitled. And I said, um, do you have children? Yes, she happened to have a millennial. I said, so your child is somebody else's entitled employee think about that. You know, where are they learning this? If they're entitled, who's taught them to be entitled? Hmm. And, you know, I, I would say in my research on millennials, what I found was, and you hinted at this earlier, wow, this generation, they were promised some stuff they didn't get, right? They were sold like a very bad bag of goods and then had to fix it instantly. And because of that, because of their anti-establishment thoughts, we got Uber. And we got Airbnb and like all of these breakthrough companies that came because they had to fix it themselves and they had to fix it really fast, you know, and we saw the gig economy, but it was just the idea of 
how quick it all came to be. And now when you look at Gen Z, you know, Gen Z will be the most educated generation in history. Also, you know, only 6% of Gen Z is not born in the U.S. And so, you know, they as a generation actually believe government is important, you know, versus millennials who believe government was something that they had to overcome. This generation believes, no, government actually has responsibility to people and we should go in and fix it, you know? And so they're educated, they know how to fix it. And they're also going to be, you know, the wealthiest generation because they were able to look at the financial crisis and, and these issues and say, this is not going to happen to me. I don't need to buy a really big house. I don't need to buy a really big car. I actually don't need to buy a car. Maybe I could just share a car with someone. And so, um, you know, money is important to them, but so is their creative endeavors. And so it's, it's fascinating for me. You know, I still dabble in my, you know, like market research days of looking at generations and creating for them. But I, you know, when I started to learn more about Gen Z, I, I was like, oh, okay, so they're kind of like teenagers in the 90s who I thought were pretty cool kids too. And so, you know, very cool, but also with all these tech tools to support them, you know, as they move forward. I think it's t- so true. If you ever want to come and hang out with my uh, my four, because they're, they're, they're Gen Zers, but they're four different ones. And there's like so many aspects, but I will say that the one consistent thread that I see in these kids and really four very, very different aspects is that they are incredibly hard workers. Mm-hmm. Yes. And there is like, I mean, when I hear that, you know, oh, these kids are slackers, I, I'm like looking around the room because they are really hard workers and, um, and maybe at times too hard. They, you know, have a lot of anxiety. Yeah. You know, I, I, that would be my one wish that we can start to take some of that away and try and figure out what is important because there are, there are a lot of stresses around. I, I totally agree with you. I grew up with TV. I grew up with Donkey Kong and you know, so many other ones that were out there. And I was pretty damn good at Pac-Man and all those things. But I mean, these kids trying to figure out what is important and what isn't important. And there's points where you know, I watch them just totally sign off on on gaming and some of the, and I've got one gamer, the other three couldn't care less about it. And um and uh you know, anyway, I just think it's it's interesting because it's not a it's not a cookie cutter generation either. They're just all very, very different. But I think there's great aspects about them that um and like you said, they've seen the financial crisis and seen many of their parents, they've now seen a pandemic. And uh, it's a very interesting, very thoughtful, very educated group about what's going on in the world and wanting to embrace and and knowing that we can't actually be a society if we don't all try and figure out how to work with each other, I think is kind of a key thing that I see from them. So, well, Tina, I absolutely love everything about you. And where can people find your books? You mentioned the Target relationship. We love Target. Go pick up a bottle of Hint as well as uh, as the the all of Tina's great books there. Super great. Uh, and where else can people find you? Uh, TinaWells.com. So every week I share a blog. I'm working on a course right now to help people start and launch businesses. Um, and so, yeah, TinaWells.com. I love it. I love it. Well, great. Well, thanks everybody for listening and give Tina five stars and definitely share this interview as well and let everybody know we're here every Monday and Wednesday interviewing great people like Tina and other entrepreneurs and wonderful people and have a wonderful week. Thanks everyone. 
Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head on in order to move forward. This is where my new book, Undaunted, comes in. This book is designed for anyone who wants to succeed in the face of fear, overcome doubts, and live a little undaunted. Order your copy today at undauntedthebook.com and learn how to look your doubts and doubters in the eye and achieve your dreams. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free case of Hint Water. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Send me a tweet at Kara Golden and let me know. And if you like what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Golden. Thanks for listening.